hear me okay? Everybody hear me? Okay. Let me um, open again uh, by reading from God's Word. Uh, this is Philippians 4. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. Uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Just to give brief context as I read this, keep in mind as I, I, I read this, the Apostle Paul is in prison. And so that just gives shape to the words that we're about to hear from Paul, that he's writing this in the midst of prison, okay, in the, the midst of intense suffering, okay? Uh, so Philippians 4, verse 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the authority that your word has over us because you wrote it and you stand in authority over us. Father, we thank you uh, that we can see that suffering is a normal part of, uh, of life in a fallen world. And we can see that even as Paul was in the midst of suffering, he was able to rejoice in you. And he encourages us uh, to cast our anxieties upon you. Uh, that as we've said, you, you receive your children as a faithful and loving and gracious father. And as Christ spoke about anxiety and worry, he said it's, it's, it's normal uh, that each and every day is going to be filled with trouble. And so we thank you that you are always with us. You are always encouraging us to come to you with our anxieties, to cast those upon you. Spirit, I call upon you as this is our last full day at RYM and we're even more tired probably than uh, earlier days in the week that uh, you would give us strength to focus on your word, uh, that you would be magnified, uh, that we would worship you, uh, that we would grow to see the beauty of our Savior Jesus Christ and, and how he meets us in the midst of a world that can make us feel very anxious at times. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, what I wanted to do quickly, um, since we had technical difficulties in this class and I did not get to get um, a PowerPoint up yesterday, kind of for a review, uh, this was something I did not get to bring up with you guys at the other group. I got to hear, how, how many of you saw Avengers Endgame? Okay, I'm, I'm not giving too many major spoilers, anything like that. How, how many of you saw Avengers Infinity War, okay, over a year ago? So if you haven't seen that, I'm not giving too much away, but uh, what was it? Okay, Avengers Infinity War, you all know, many of you know the snap that occurred. Basically, somebody can correct me, what, half the population was destroyed, is that right? More than half the population was just disintegrated. And so what was interesting to me in Avengers Endgame was the theme of grief, okay, the theme of suffering that Avengers Endgame discussed. Um, I've heard, you know, from plenty of people, oh, Avengers Endgame just started off really slow. Um, that's because half the population was dead, <laughs> and the characters were dealing with that. Um, they're not just going to get back in action and, you know, be happy and, like, chop Thanos' head off or anything like that, um, for example. Just hypothetical. I'm not spoiling anything. Um, so just kind of thinking about some of the characters, Captain America, 
the way that he dealt with grief was, you remember, he had that self-help group kind of at the beginning of the movie, if you remember that, and he was just kind of giving shallow advice. Even Captain America himself says later, he doesn't even believe in it. He just kind of felt like that was his job, to try to give hope to people. If you think about Black Widow, the way that she dealt with grief, do you remember? She just stayed busy. She just kept herself busy because she didn't want to stop to think about the sorrow of the loved ones that she had lost. And that's many of us, right? Um, If we're dealing with something uh, or if we're going through the midst of something that's just causing us suffering, we just want to stay busy to distract our minds from thinking about the sorrow that we're dealing with. Think about Hawkeye. He basically became a murderer, right? Um, He became, you know, vigilante or took justice into his own hands. That he just wanted to destroy any form of evil he could. And so he just went around slaughtering people. And we could probably say, okay, well, they deserved it. They were evil people. But it's still, you know, vigilante justice. I mean, there's even a point where Black Widow goes up to him and is trying to give him hope that, look, we might can save some of the people that were lost. And as she's trying to say that, he interrupts her and he says, don't give me hope. Don't give me hope. That he was so far gone, he did not even want anyone to try to give him any hope. He had just kind of embraced this lifestyle of, you know, bringing justice in the way that he thought. Okay, Thor, um, it's humorous in the movie. We can laugh. Those of you who have seen the movie, Fat Thor, y'all know what I'm talking about when I say that. It can be funny, but Thor became an alcoholic, if you think about it. And he was so overwhelmed with sorrow, he just became an alcoholic and played Fortnite. Um, that's how he dealt with his grief. He just, he could not handle it, and so he just wanted to numb his sorrows. Tony Stark, he just wanted to retreat, right? He just got away with his family and wanted to protect themselves from any form of suffering, just to get away from it. And so what's interesting to me, not only does this movie deal with this theme, it's interesting to show that, you know, grief is something that we all can understand, that resonates with every single human, and the reality is we're going to try to deal with grief in some way, and in some ways you can connect with some of these characters and think, okay, this is how I would deal with grief, and you'd say, okay, this is where they were hiding, right? They hid in, I mean, for alcoholism. Tony Stark literally hid trying to get away. And so when grief comes about in your life, you're going to hide somewhere. And what the movie showed us is that none of these were answers to their grief. None of them ultimately helped them. And so it was very helpful to kind of see this illustrated in a movie. And again, a very interesting theme. I mean, when you're thinking of a summer blockbuster, it's fairly interesting to think that, you know, grief uh, was an aspect of this summer blockbuster. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm sure it's made more money than any other movie ever made. If not, it's going to, uh, most likely. And so to think of a movie this popular and dealing with that um, was uh, very interesting to me. So today, getting to this question, how should we deal with worry? Okay, how should we deal with our worry? As we kind of highlighted our anxiety over Tuesday and um, Wednesday, trying to give you some practical steps of kind of, okay, how can I 
deal with some of the stress in my life? Um, how, how can I, uh, you know, as I'm leaving Laguna Beach and I'm heading back home tomorrow, even thinking about that, like some of you know you're loading up in a van and a bus, some kind of vehicle to head back home, even that thought might start to trigger some worry because you know there's things waiting on you back home. And so to be thinking, okay, how can I deal with that as I get back home? Okay, how can I start to, to wrestle with this by, by God's grace? And again, this is such a broad topic. There's so much more to, to talk about in this, but hopefully some of this will be helpful. And so what I've done is I've given seven kind of bullet points, all backed with Scripture um, for truths that you can kind of cling to, um, things that you should reflect on and meditate on. And so the first is simply this that you will have to deal with worry, okay? It's, this is the kind of basic we need to start. You're going to have to deal with worry. Um, again, this is where my mind goes. How many of you have seen Incredibles, the first one? Okay, like the entire world, everybody's seen this movie. Do you remember the scene at the end uh, when Syndrome has taken Jack-Jack, took him up to the plane, and then Jack-Jack went insane? And Syndrome went into the jet engine. Y'all remember that? The jet blew up. And after Mr. Incredible throws the last girl up to save Jack-Jack, she's parachuting down, and she's looking at Jack-Jack, and she says, everything's fine, everything's going to be all right. And in the background, the jet is exploding, and there's all this kind of chaos. She doesn't even realize Jack-Jack's seeing it all, and she's like, everything's fine. And, And I bring that up to say that I think sometimes... We think as Christians, we need to have Elastigirl's mindset. That chaos and sanity is going on all around us. We just need to be, everything's fine. Just relax. Everything's okay. But the reality is, everything is not okay. Okay? Everything is broken in this world. Okay? It is a beautiful world that God has created, but it is poisoned with sin. There are all sorts of horrible things that happen each and every day in this world. There are going to be things that tempt you to worry. There are going to be things that tempt you to be anxious. And I think oftentimes, you know, as we, maybe even some of you, if you signed up for this class, you might have hoped, okay, maybe I can take this class and I can kind of get rid of this worry thing. I could figure this anxiety thing out so I can just kind of get on with my life. What you need to know is anxiety is something we are most likely going to wrestle with until we go home to be with the Lord. Because, to kind of borrow a phrase from somebody else and apply it here, um, anxiety is a normal part of an abnormal world. Okay? It's a normal part of living in a world that is completely broken. A world that is filled with kidnapping, with rape, with murder, with racism, with all sorts of injustice. And again, we have a soul inside of us telling us this is not how it's supposed to be. And so sometimes our soul is simply reacting to this world being broken. And that's what some of our anxiety may be. And so we, we've got to know that sometimes, you know, when we're actually 
asking God even as we're praying, God, please remove this from my life to help me not be so anxious. God, please help me not be so anxious about this one thing. Listen, it could be that it's that one thing that's keeping you clinging to God. That if God actually took that away, you might just turn your back on him. So, okay, now I can live my life because I've gotten relief from that. It could be that it's that one thing that's keeping you clinging to him. And so just knowing, kind of setting the office, you are going to have to deal with worry. And that can sound discouraging, but I hope it's more encouraging to see it's normal. And let me just give you some, some hope, too. It can be that God grows you. And you can look back over your life and be like, you know, I used to be really stressed about that. And I'm just not anymore. The Lord's grown me through that. And so I want to give you hope that that can happen, but to also give you a realistic idea that it could be something that you just wrestle with. Um, so I hope that, again, is more encouraging than discouraging. A second truth that we need to reflect on is this. You should fear. Okay, if you remember all the way back, Genesis 3, what were the two truths that I told you guys about? One is you're all afraid and you all hide, okay? Um, so fear, as we said, is kind of a large umbrella as we think about it, that there's a sense in which, okay, yes, anxiety, worry, all of that fits under the umbrella of fear. That's an aspect of fear. Um, but it also said that fear might ha have, and we don't have time to debate this or anything, fear might have been around before the fall, okay? Because we're commanded plenty of times in Scripture is to fear the Lord. There's a good fear, okay? Um, when I'm bringing this up, I mean, one part in Scripture in specific is uh, Jesus Christ in Matthew 10, 28, when he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus Christ himself here is telling us to fear. Okay, and he's not telling us to sin, okay, there is this difference between, again, the fear of the Lord and, and the reality. I mean, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Look, this is kind of the cliched statement, but please listen to me. I mean, if you've tuned me out and then it's like, okay, you want to tune me out for the rest of the class, just hear this, okay? Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you know for certain that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Jesus is warning us here. He's telling us to be sobered by the reality. Like I've said, every one of you has a soul in here, okay? Your soul, when you die, is either going to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ forever or an eternity separated from Jesus Christ forever. Unending sorrow, unending grief, unending pain, forever. That's why Jesus is telling us Stop and fear this, this God. Think about this. Eternity is not like, oh, okay, I'll think about that tomorrow. I'll think about that next week. Again, I think as Morgan talked about it on one of the nights of just, uh, that's Christianity and all that. That's something I'll think about as I get older and kind of get along in, in life. This is not something to put to the side. Because I want to be cautious as I bring this up to say, you need to have assurance if you're a Christian, okay, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, 
He has you. John 10 says, no one can snatch you out of his hand. Okay? No one's powerful enough to take you out of God's hand once he has you in his grasp. Not your own doubt. Okay? Not your own unbelief at times. If you're his child, he has you. All right? So you need to have assurance. But at the same time, if you know, like, you are a visitor here, um, you, you know you have not believed in Jesus as your Savior, please take the time to talk to someone this week, talk to your youth worker, talk to a chaperone, talk to your friend, because this is vitally important. This is the most important question you can be reflecting on. So, and, and also, too, j- just quickly saying this, as somebody reminded me um, when I, I was talking about this in Texas, evangelism Vitally important. We're commanded to do it as Christians. It can be incredibly awkward and intimidating to do it. Um, to, to share the gospel with somebody else. To talk to your unbelieving friends about Jesus Christ. This is a way to get to the gospel. As I've already said, we're all afraid. We're all hiding. Talk to your unbelieving friends about the gospel through those avenues. Talk to them about what are you afraid of? Where are you hiding? And get to the gospel through this lens. It's kind of an easy, maybe more natural way for you to be talking to your unbelieving friends. Number three, as I've said, you must have a theology of pain. There have been a lot of books published, a lot of statistics saying that youth who grow up inside the church have left the church when they get to college. There's a lot of, again, Statistic research that is showing that a lot of students grow up in the church and then leave for college and then leave the church. And some of uh, what, what some people have asserted could be helpful in that or some of the reasons why they've asserted that people have left the church is that they did not have a theology of pain or a theology of suffering. That there are ways in which some of these churches have not prepared students for the realities of life. And so trying to equip you with that, to say that this is, look, if you claim to be a Christian, you're aligning with Jesus Christ. How was his life on earth? Difficult. Painful. Right? All of his friends left him. He was betrayed by all of them. Horrifically, violently murdered. And that's who you're aligning with. Now look, I want to put a gross picture up here, but I'm warning you about it. Um, I had neck neck surgery over two years ago, and so it's a picture of an incision that I had in my neck and like blood spraying out and all that. I'm just kidding. Um, It's not that graphic, but I just want to give you a heads up um, before I put it up here. So it's my neck surgery. Um, It's pretty gross. Some of you might be like, that's not that big of a deal. Um, Can you kind of see it a little bit? Yeah. so I had a metal plate put in my spine. I had a, my disc, a disc removed and my C6 and C7 vertebra. Couldn't drive a car for a couple months. Couldn't pick up my children for several months. Um, it was really, it was, it was tough. <laughs> um, it was a hard season. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you think this hurt? Yes or no? Okay. Um, Yes, it hurt. 
okay? And as some people pointed out, okay, well, no, since I was under anesthesia, I was passed out. Um, but when I woke up, yes, it was very, very painful. Um, let me ask you another question. Were the doctors who did this trying to help me or hurt me? Help. Good. Very easy <laughs> questions. They were trying to help me, okay? The doctors had to inflict pain upon me to help me, okay? The doctors knew there was something in me. Like, if they did not operate, I would have lost all function in this arm. I already couldn't feel fingers, and I couldn't use my arm in some ways. If they did not do this, this arm would have probably eventually been cut off because it couldn't have been used. The doctors were helping me. And I'll go ahead and get this off so y'all can stop dry heaving. Um, this is the same way God uses pain. God uses pain like a scalpel in the hands, hands of a surgeon. Okay? The doctors, I'm not trying to be overly graphic on this, they literally had to slit my throat. But these doctors were not like just, hey, we like violence, let's cut this guy's throat. They were like, no, we've got to help this guy. And to do that, we're going to have to inflict a lot of pain on him. That's often how God works with pain. That's one thing you need to know about pain, is that God uses it like a scalpel to help you. And sometimes we don't know why. We're thinking, why in the world am I going through this? What is going on? What you have to know, and again, we don't have the time to get into all the theological issues because this does raise a lot of questions. You have to know God is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? Somebody tell me. Sovereign. The word is kind of in there. He, yes, I think you're in first. Okay, he's Lord. You had your hand up too? Same kind of thing. Okay, the word reign is in there. Okay. What, who do we think of when we think of reigning? Like what kind of person? A king. Okay, God is sovereign. He's, a, he's king over all of creation. He's reigning over your pain. He is in control of your pain. And sometimes people can have problems with that because they think, God is good. Why is he allowing this pain? Listen to me. It is more terrifying to say God is not ruling over your pain. To say whatever is happening to me is out of God's control. But when we know God is good and God is loving and God is gracious, we can say, God, I do not understand why I'm going through this, but I do know you and I trust you. So again, there's so much more we can say about that, but that's one aspect of pain we have to have in our minds as we think about a, a proper biblical understanding of pain. And that, that leads us to, to number four. That oftentimes what God's design in our pain, his design is to draw you closer to him. Oftentimes the pain that's in your life is to draw you closer to God. And this is one way in which we draw closer to God. God speaks to us through his word, and we're speaking to God in prayer. And really, these can never be separated. You cannot read your Bible apart from prayer and vice versa. You must be, as I've heard a theologian say, we cannot possibly expect to grasp the infinite without his help. So we're reading a book that's written by an infinite, eternal being. So we've got to be praying constantly as we read God's word to understand it. But, but sadly, what happens is 
Because God's design for our pain is often drawing us closer to him. What happens oftentimes when we go through painful things is we numb our pain with other things. Okay, just think back to the examples of the Avengers. They tried to deal with their pain in other ways to just help their pain. But all it was was kind of putting a Band-Aid over the problem. And so often what happens, look, when we go through some hard day at school, something painful, and I've kind of referenced this the other day, we'll just binge watch on Netflix. We just want to laugh and get our minds up. But most of you, it's like binge watching on Netflix while also scrolling through Instagram and listening to music at the same time. Um, We're just wanting to numb ourselves. So we're just not thinking about it. And like I said, Smartphones are not the devil, okay? Social media is not the devil. Um, We can enjoy some of these things. We have freedom in Christ to enjoy some of these things. We have to be cautious, but we have freedom in Christ to enjoy some of these things. But we have to see that if we continually deal with our pain and suffering by just numbing it, by just trying to, to run to these other things, it's ultimately not going to help us. So again, that's where we're There's only this one place to hide as we're kind of unpacking. As we look at the psalm, Psalm 119, verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Now, y'all can see these words up here. I can read these to you, and you can just be like, yeah, okay, that's in the psalm. We've got to stop and think, like, that is stupid in the eyes of the world. That is foolishness. Who in their right mind would say, it is good for me to have pain? It is good for me to have suffering. That does not make sense to the world. He's saying, it is good that I was afflicted, that I might actually understand the Bible more. As I had a seminary professor tell me, the Bible would not make sense apart from pain. The Bible would not make sense apart from suffering. So we've got to see that oftentimes God is using our pain to help us know him more. And so just some verses for reflection for you. Um, I might have to go over this quickly, and so some of you can jot these down, and some of you do have phones, you can snap a picture. Um, This is helpful, but I can tell you, I mean, the older I've gotten, the more pain I've gone through in my life, and the more I'm thankful for the word of God. Now, there have been times, I mean, there was a time recently where I was really suffering, and I opened up the Psalms, and I started to read a Psalm, and started to pray the Psalm, and just the peace and the comfort that I felt was so deeply nourishing and encouraging. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying, hey, look, start reading the Bible, and all your cares will go away, and all of your pain will go away. That's not what I'm saying. But please be reminded, God's Word is living it's alive, okay? As it says, it's active. It is a supernatural book. There are stories after stories after stories. I mean, I remember one story of this man who went to prison, unbeliever, life sentence. No one ever witnessed to him. He never went to church. He found a Bible, started reading it. He was converted. It's because the Bible has a power in it. And so you need to know there are plenty of times where I'm still at my age, I'll read, and it's like, what did I just read? I don't even know what I, what I just read there. 
confused. The Bible works apart from you and your understanding. That it doesn't matter sometimes if you're reading, you're like, I have no idea what this means. As many people say it's reading you and it's getting in you and it transforms you. And I know it's a struggle. And so just very practically, I'm kind of giving you some time to write these down. If you are here and you never, ever read the Bible at all, and you're an anxious person, some of that doesn't surprise me. Again, I'm not saying if you start reading the Bible, all that's going to go away. But maybe starting to read God's word would calm you, would give you a taste of the peace of God and start to minister to you. And so if you never read the Bible, I would encourage you, first, ask God to help you read it. Okay, I kind of think he, he answers those prayers. <laughs> God, help me read your word that you love. Um, no, I don't think he's going to say that. And so asking him for the strength. And if you never read the Bible, start reading one verse a day. Don't be like, okay, I'm going to start three chapters a day. I'm encouraging you not to do that. <laughs> start with one verse. Okay, for a whole week, and then maybe two, second week, and then three. Just start reading the Bible. Make it a priority in your life. And see how God uses it in your life. And right along with that, number five is to grow your knowledge of God. To grow your knowledge of God. There's a quote by John Calvin that is probably, I mean, it's one of the quotes that I continually come back to. He says this, to know self we must know God, and to know God, we must know self. Okay, so hear that again. To know self, we must know God. To know God, we must know self. Okay, basically what, what he's saying there is, okay, there's a sense in which you have no clue what eternal means. Okay? There's a sense in which we can say, okay, we know we can define it. We can kind of understand it. But it's beyond our understanding. But you do know what it means to be human, to be temporal. And so the more you look at yourself, you can understand God a little more deeply. Okay? That is the same with righteousness. We kind of have an idea what righteousness means, perfection. But none of you are perfect in this room. And none of you have ever seen perfection. So there's a sense in which we don't know what righteousness is. But as we look at ourselves and we see our imperfection and we see the sin in our heart, it helps us better understand righteousness. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? And so what I'm trying to say, playing off this quote, it's impossible for you to know yourself if you don't know God. There's a sense in which to know yourself better, you have to know God. We're created in his image. And we think of Matthew 6, 33, Jesus Christ ends his talk on anxiety with this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Does anyone know what God's most frequent command in the Bible is? Some of you may have heard this. What does God command more than anything else in the entire Bible? Anybody know? Do not fear. Isn't he so harsh? That's his most frequent command. Do not fear. Variations of that. He says, I'm with you. Do not be afraid. 
Part of the reason he says that a lot is because we're afraid a lot. And because he knows fear is natural to us. He knows, again, there's all sorts of anxieties around us. And so he's comforting us a lot. But here's, here's a question I have. Who cares? All right? God, my parents are getting a divorce, and you're telling me not to fear. I'm terrified. God, my friend's dying of this sickness. My parent, one of my parents is dying of this sickness. I'm terrified. We can hear this is the most frequent command from God, but sometimes, again, it's like Jesus saying, do not be anxious. There's so much to be anxious about. And so we need to question who it is making this claim. Who is it who is telling us, do not fear? It'd be maybe like this. Look, if you were riding with your parents in the car and the car broke down and you got out and you popped the hood of the car and smoke is just pouring out of the engine. And then somebody walks up and they kind of pat you on the shoulder. They said, hey, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. You would most likely say, and who are you? (laughs) Like, there's smoke pouring out of my engine. You know, who are you to say this? And if they said, well, I'm a mechanic... You'd say, oh, okay, that makes sense, right? In a much greater way, it's like God saying, do not fear. He has the entire world in the palm of his hand. And when he says, do not fear, he's one we can trust. As we've said, he's reigning on a throne. Nothing that happens in this world catches him off guard. You know, he didn't have his back turned when, you know, jet engines flew into the Twin Towers. It was like, oops, I didn't see that one coming. He has evil on a leash. He has Satan on a leash. We can trust him. And so the reality is, for our remaining years on this earth, we must be growing our knowledge of who this God is. And guess what? For all eternity, you're still going to be growing your knowledge of who he is because he has no end. So every day in eternity, we're still going to be knowing who this God is. We're going to be growing in our knowledge of who this God is. And so what we need to do, just kind of a practical application as we just talked about prayer and we read from Philippians at the beginning, when you are anxious, as Philippians 4 said, just cast your anxieties on God. Pray to God. Give him your anxieties, whatever it is you're worried about. But please listen to me. An aspect of your prayer that may be helpful is to pray a prayer of adoration. Can anyone tell me what adoration means? Okay, I saw a lot of hands start to go up. Okay, to show love and trust. How else would you define it? Yeah. Okay, like praise, okay? So listen, just follow me on this, okay? Say this is going on in your life and you're incredibly anxious about it and you're just saying, God, this thing is so horrible. It's making me so anxious. Please, God, help me. Please help me. I'm so worried. If this happens, all this is going to happen. What happens is sometimes your prayers can just become worry and can just, you're feeding them. Instead of praying about the circumstance, yes, pray about the circumstance, cast those cares on the Lord, turn your eyes off of the circumstance and on to who God is, and pray prayers of adoration to him. Like, God, you are all powerful. God, you are stronger than this thing I'm dealing with. 
God, you are loving. You're over all of this. And so you're shifting your eyes off of your circumstances and onto the God who is supreme over all of creation. Does that make sense? And it's growing your knowledge of who God is. It's reminding yourself of who God is in the midst of your suffering. Number six is to look to the future. To look to the future. And as some of you may be thinking, okay, on, uh, I guess it was yesterday, you said that worry is focused on the future. And that Jesus Christ said, do not worry about tomorrow. What I'm trying to get us to think about is looking to the next life. Looking to the next life. To be reminded that Jesus Christ has secured a place for you. Looking at verses, and I think I have this down on uh, the slide I had earlier, but uh, Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I mean, just very practically, this is two verses. That took me, what, I don't know, 10 seconds to read it. I don't know how long. I mean, just think of, like, stopping and looking at these two verses. I mean, taking, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Asking yourself, what makes you cry? And just start bullet pointing the things that make you cry. Okay, what brings you mourning and sorrow in your life? And bullet point those things. And look at those bullets and say, they're not going to be in heaven. Those things will not be there. Look, there, we've got to, at the same time, there's a tension here. This world is beautiful because God made it. We can rejoice in this world. But it's a joke compared to heaven. They just, things like, I mean, I've told my, my children before, looking at some of the architecture, like, I mean, there's this three, four-story beach house maybe some of you have seen near the volleyball courts, and it looks pretty awesome. Um, if we can come up with that in a fallen world, like, what sort of houses are going to be in the new heavens and the new earth, right? Like, if sinful man were, you know, all the tools we use are broken, our minds are broken, if we can make that, the houses God makes in perfection are going to be amazing. But to think of this existence where you're never going to cry anymore. You'll never get on Instagram and see that you were the only one not invited to the party. That's never going to happen again. You're never going to have this anxiety that keeps you from falling asleep at night. When you try to go to bed and you just toss and turn worrying about tomorrow and then you wake up feeling groggy because you're about to have to go to this place that's miserable. You're never going to feel any of that ever again. Any of that inner turmoil, all of it is gone. You'll have unending joy and happiness, but the best part about it, Jesus is there. We need to reflect on this reality that Jesus Christ is secure, but let's not forget to think about the one who secured it for us. 
that there's going to be a day where you can actually meet the man who hung on a cross for you. The man who, even though you were spitting in his face, running in the other direction, he said, I love you, I'm going to pursue you, I'm going to bleed, and I'm going to die for you, to free you from this world of brokenness. That you get to meet him, that you get to rest in his arms. And so in the midst of your pain and your suffering, your anxiety, you need to be reminded of this future. Because some of, our, some of God's design for pain is to help you let go of this world and to know there's a better world coming. And again, to be reminded, we have this Savior that's gone through the same suffering that you've gone through. He's been tempted with every anxiety you've been tempted with. Just look at the Garden of Gethsemane for one example. Sweating drops of blood because the wrath of God was about to be poured out upon him. If that doesn't tempt you to be anxious, nothing will. So I guarantee you he knows what you're going through. And then the lastly, to recognize you need help. You need help. This goes against a message of our world, I think, that we are kind of self-sufficient, we're strong enough, we can do it on our own. You cannot. You desperately need help. And you do not need to act like you have it all together. You need to recognize God has created you for community, for fellowship. Okay? Christianity is a community project. And so telling you, as I've talked about over these last few days, all of you are afraid of something. Let me ask you the question. Have you shared those fears with anybody? Have you been vulnerable enough to say, I'm afraid of this. And I know it's irrational, but I'm, I'm afraid of it. And it just terrifies me. Have you talked to anybody about that? I cannot encourage you enough. Students, talk to your youth workers that are here with you. Talk to the chaperones that are here with you. Talk to trusted friends. Some of you aren't going to like this. Talk to your parents. Tell your parents what you're afraid of. Because you go home tomorrow, and some of you guys especially, you're going to get home, your parents are going to be like, hey, how was RM? Oh, good. And that's it. That's like end of discussion. That's all they get about the week. Maybe get into this discussion. This is something I want to talk to you about. I heard it this week, and I'm just really anxious about this, mom and dad. And as we're talking about this, I also want to say, I know, speaking to a room this size, there are broken homes. Some of you may be thinking, well, I don't have a mom to go home to. I don't have a dad to go home to. That's the beauty of the church. Because you do have spiritual mothers and fathers that are just as much your mothers and fathers as anyone else because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what skin color they have. It does not matter. Because Jesus Christ has united us by his blood. And so you need the church. Again, the older I've gotten, the more I've realized how badly I need the church. 
So please, just in the midst of your anxieties, know you need other people in your life. You need to be talking to other people in your life. Now, look, there's a lot I could say, and I don't have time uh, to say it. Um, I do, I heard Paul David Tripp uh, say in a uh, seminar one time, he said, okay, it's important to go to seminars and to listen, but he said, it's vitally important what happens after the seminar and what you do once you leave this place. And so hopefully some of you have taken notes. Hopefully some of that's helpful. Hopefully some of you, as you leave here, like I've said, start talking to other people, start voicing your anxieties um, to try to give you some helpful resources as well. Uh, Tim Lane wrote this book called Living Without Worry. Um, He did not write this for teenagers. I'm not saying you cannot grasp it as a teenager. Uh, It's helpful. There's going to be some examples that will not be applicable to you guys, but it's helpful. It's back there on on the table. Um, And I know this sounds like self-promotion. This is is a book that I wrote called Insecure. Part of why I wrote this, um, I wrote it for teenagers. Um, I was picked on horribly in the seventh grade. Um, I was physically ill when I would get up and go to school um, for several months um, because it was miserable. It was horrible. Um, I was diagnosed with ADD in the 10th grade. I was ashamed of that. I took medication for that. And I share some of my anxieties in this. And again, some of what I've talked about in this class, but then some other stuff that I hope is helpful. Again, wrote it specifically for middle school and high schoolers um, for one, just to know you're not alone. Um, to me, that was such an encouragement to know I'm not the only one who feels this way. I'm not the only one struggling with insecurities. I'm not the only one struggling with anxieties. Um, and so I throw this out there as something that I hope could be helpful for you. I mean, it's pretty small, <laughs> very thin, so hopefully it's not intimidating. I know Ken has some more coming in today because I, I think um, many of them sold in Colorado. So just Throwing that out there, hopefully it's helpful to you guys. I know I need to wrap up. Do I need to clarify anything before I pray? Is there something I said where you're like, okay, that didn't really make sense? Um, do I need to go back to the slide with the scripture references? Did many of you get that? Maybe your leaders got it. I saw a lot of people taking pictures. And I should say, I mean, there's so much scripture to help you with your anxiety. With um, that, Those are just some that I, I kind of pulled out that could be helpful. No hands? Okay, let me go ahead and pray for us. I'll be around today if you have any questions. Father, we thank you for the power of your word, uh, the power of uh, your scriptures that you have given us. As many have called your word, it's a love letter to your children. It is an encouragement in the midst of a world that can be very discouraging. I pray as, you, as these students uh, finish their last day, that first that they would enjoy this last day, that they would have fun and laughter Uh, that you'd keep everyone safe uh, throughout the rest of the day and tonight. Uh, But then as they head back home, that you would remind every one of these students that you're already back home wherever they're going, that you're here with them, that you're everywhere, that you never leave them or forsake them, Uh, that they would know that you are the God who who goes with them everywhere. And, And I pray that you would be with every one of these students in all the ways in which they're anxious. You know what's going on in each heart in this room right now. You know what's going on back home. I pray that that would be a deep encouragement uh, to these students, that you know them to their core and you still love them. 
pray that in the midst of this anxiety and suffering that we've, we've brought up and we've talked about so much, that it would magnify the man, Jesus Christ, and all that he did to, to live, to suffer, to die in our place, and to secure a future home for us that is not filled with anxiety, but perfect peace. And it's in his name we pray, amen.